welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include equity in homes, my interview with Calc Chandra Srivastava on the inner workings of a mortgage marketing department, and for now, the U.S. economy continues onward. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Loan Care. Loan Care has successfully navigated clients and homeowners through market change for 40 years. The mortgage subservicer is known for delivering superior customer experience through personalization and convenience. Its award-winning portfolio management tool, Loan Care Analytics, supports MSR investors with a focus on customer engagement, liquidity, and credit risk. Loan Care is part of Fidelity National Financial, a Fortune 500 company and leading provider of services to real estate aid and mortgage industries. In the third quarter of 2023, fewer homes were equity rich, meaning their loan balances were less than half of their market values. The share of equity rich mortgage homes was 47.4%, a drop from 49.2% in the second quarter of the year, making it the largest quarterly decline since 2019. The decline in equity rich properties happened despite recent home value rebounds. That said, the percentage of seriously underwater mortgaged homes continued to improve. Only 2.5% were considered seriously underwater in the third quarter of 2023. That's the lowest point in the past four years, and it's down from 1 in 36 homes in the second quarter and 1 in 35 homes in the third quarter of last year. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Calx Chandra Srivastava to talk about the inner workings of a mortgage marketing department. She's a data-driven marketing strategist and CMO at Calc, in addition to being a lecturer at the University of Texas at Austin. She spans the academic and practitioner worlds to conduct research on managerially relevant questions surfaced through consulting. She specializes in marketing strategy, digital marketing, corporate reputation, and stakeholder relations, while her academic research focuses on the dynamics between leadership teams, customer orientation, and social media crisis management. You and I are recording today from far apart time zones, but the last time we spoke, we were face-to-face getting fusion lunch in Austin, Texas, and we're both, we both have Longhorn DNA in our blood. You, you lectured there. I went to the business school there for undergrad, and it was really nice sitting down and, and spending time with you, but I'm going to ask you to kind of explain your background to listeners today and and I want to ask you how you got into marketing and then specifically the the mortgage industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I did not fall far from the tree. My father is a prominent marketing academic. Um and so I kind of grew up discussing brand hierarchies and brand extensions at the dinner table. Um I got my undergrad in history and econ and I went into corporate crisis management. Uh, so if someone was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, maybe they spilled oil in a pipeline, or perhaps they defrauded their investors, uh, then our company would help them manage that crisis. And I was in their primary data collection division. Um, so during that time, I worked with large global investment banks, and this was during the financial crash and recovery. So I dipped my feet into the banking space But it wasn't until I went and got my PhD in marketing, as you said, at UT, where I really picked up strong empirical modeling skills and data analysis skills. 
Um, and, and I joined Calc, which uh, is a mortgage innovation company. We help, we provide a white labeled buy before you sell solution to lenders um, that they can provide to their customers. So I thought this was a really meaningful problem. Um, I thought it would help consumers and it was innovative. So I that's how I got into mortgage specifically. So compared to the rest of my team, I'm quite new to the mortgage space. I actually did kind of an apprenticeship at a company over the, the past few years in the marketing department because I said one day I want to take over the Christmas commentary with constant contact and email campaigns and being able to, to understand how the mind of a marketer works, I want to be able to build out WordPress pages, do all these things, which is completely different than my background in capital markets, trading loans, pricing loans, running lock desks, those sorts of things. And so I, I want to ask a experienced marketer like yourself, when it when it comes to working in a mortgage marketing department, how does someone or how does the department quantify or qualify success? Mm. This is a really good question. Um, I would first ask what their role is and where they are in the hierarchy, because down at the bottom, you're usually doing more tactical things. And as you move up the funnel, you're usually doing more strategic um, strategic work. But I'm just going to assume that we're talking about someone kind of at the, the top of the marketing stack at a, at a mortgage company. Yeah. So... The first thing I would look for is what is the overarching business goal given our current market? And in good times, I probably wouldn't specify that. But in a market like this, it's, you know, what is the thing that we have to do to survive as a business or be successful? Um, And then I back my strategy, how I'm going to support that goal. And then finally, I build out my metrics to measure that strategy. So I I go in that order. What's my business goal? What's my marketing strategy? What are my marketing metrics? So if we take what pretty much everyone's dealing with right now, uh, the business goal is I need more deal volume, right? I'm going to do a little example. I think it's easier. I need deal volume. That's what the company needs. So as my marketing strategy, I'd say, okay, I'm going to get in front of who's actually buying houses right now. Oh, um, and so I might look for, okay, people who have money like boomers. Uh, 58 was the average age of buyers last year. I might look for people who have to move for work or people who are downsizing because they can't afford their current home. Um, and I would then think, okay, I can reach out to them via social media, search engine marketing, realtor outreach, I can get in touch with my realtors. So that that would be my marketing strategy. And then I would define metrics um, to help quantify the success. Is this working? So I would look at kind of short, medium, and long-term goals. Um, And so I might say for social media, for example, at first, I'm just going to start putting content out there. What are the number of views? Is anyone watching it? Okay, great. People are starting to watch it. Then I start to look for interactions. That shows a little bit stronger of a relationship. Okay, great. Interactions are moving up. What are my website conversions? Um, And then did they sign up for my newsletter? And finally, can I convert them to a customer? So what I'm looking for, I can't expect someone to convert month one. It's just not going to happen and you're you're going to fail if that's how you're measuring it. So you have to think through how do I build that relationship through that channel? 
And then how am I going to measure it short, medium, and long-term? The other thing I also really like to do is build in, especially when you're talking to the rest of the C-suite, you want to build in status quo and forward-looking metrics. Um, And I know this is an interesting market for everyone. And so uh, it's really important to be able to show the success of what you're doing. So you want accounting metrics that show what is happening right now, like what, what amount of revenue did I drive to you? Or what amount of deal flow did I drive to you? Uh, but you also want to look long-term at things like customer lifetime value. So can I put a number on how much this person is worth? Um, I know they're in an industry like military. I know they're going to move every three to four years. If I can keep them as my customer for three of those moves, how much are they worth to me over the next 10 years, right? So that is kind of a, a longer looking metric, a future looking metric. Um, And then lastly, I really think about for metrics, what am I leaving on the table? So if I do a straight number like total deal flow this month, that doesn't tell me if I'm improving or getting worse. Okay, so then maybe I look at something like ratio. Um, I want to look at percentage of deals closed. This gives me more information or different information. So maybe my total deal volume wasn't great but my number of deals closed was really high, then I know I just need to get, I need to get more people in the door, but my team can close them when they're there. Or, you know, if I have great deal flow, but very low closing rate, then I've got to get my team better. So that helps you calibrate where in the process things are going right and going wrong. Uh, And then I want to look at growth rate. You have to know how you're doing relative to the past. So I want to look at month over month growth and deal flow and deals closed, et cetera. I want to qualify my success. I want to consider what is reasonable given the current market. I want to compare myself to my competition. So maybe compared to 2020, numbers aren't great, but given the market and given what my competition's doing, we're still we're still doing really well, right? Um, and that helps keep your team motivated because you're giving them expectations they can meet. Uh, you also want to measure qualitative things like customer satisfaction, trust in their LO, um, the strength of your realtor relationships. That's harder to do, um, but that's also going to help you have a more holistic view of how your company is doing. Well, you give such a detailed answer. I'm going to go back and ask a layman question after that. It's the difference between top of funnel and lead gen. And I say that because when when you and I sat down, you had you had kind of mentioned there was a difference between the two and how do companies use one or the other and kind of view them? Yeah, I will start it by saying the lines are getting blurred, more and more blurred. Um, So as we move into a digital world and now we have AI, these two used to be much more distinct and they often had their own systems. You had a CRM and then you also had a sales system. And now everything is just melding into one big melting pot. So uh, I hope that makes you feel better because the the difference is not distinct. But um, if you think about marketing and you think about the marketing funnel, we have something called AIDA. And that stands for at the very top of the funnel, there's awareness. So does someone even know I exist? And then a little further down the funnel, so the funnel's getting narrower, we've got interest. 
okay, they know I exist. And now they're considering, um, I'll just take Cal because I think about this all the time. They're considering, do I even want to do buy before you sell or just go with a traditional route for mortgage? Um, then a little further down the funnel, we've lost some people, but now we're getting into people who are quite interested. They have desire to have this product. Uh, and this is um, this is usually where lead gen starts to tie in more tightly. Um, so they have desire to have this product. And at the very bottom is action. This is, did I convert them to a customer? And that is the bottom of your funnel. So top of funnel activity usually precedes and feeds lead gen. But again, the lines are getting blurred. Um, what really sets lead gen apart is when you do lead gen, you are qualifying and prioritizing leads. So you are scoring those leads based on the level of interest that you think they have and their ability to purchase your product. Um, in the mortgage industry, that would be a mortgage. Um, and so when you're doing that, uh, that requires you knowing information about that customer, potential customer, and you're prioritizing that information. Lead gen is often a long-term play to build a relationship. Um, and the other thing when you do lead gen, so when you do top of funnel, getting awareness and interest, these are often, you take kind of a segmentation approach to the market. So you say, okay, I'm going to try to get my message in front of consumers who are moving right now. So you've segmented it into those people, and then you blast out top of information, top of funnel information that might be useful to them. So you put out social media posts about the best time to move, or um, you might be putting out blogs about how to make your move easy, etc. Whereas lead gen is very reactive. At every step, you're closely tied with this consumer. They're much farther down the funnel. And so everything they do, you take that into account before you make your next move. So one is more broadcasting out and lead gen is much more relationship and reactive. Um, and to do lead gen, it's expensive because it often requires more of a personal touch or more of a person's time on your team to make that work. Now, there's great companies that are doing automation that helps you cut out some of that manual labor, but this business is very face-to-face, and I don't think we're ever going to fully cut that out. So to do lead gen, you have to have know someone is worth that monetary investment, so you need them farther down the funnel, uh, and again, usually at the interest-desire stage. And then lead gen, you get that lead you've qualified it, you say, this is a very warm or hot lead, and you hand it off to the sales team. Uh, so for our mortgage companies, the marketing department says, here's your warm lead, call them. So on this podcast, I have a variety of sponsors, a variety of people I talk to. Some companies are doing business to business advertising. Some companies are doing business to consumer advertising. Uh, I know you could definitely do do more than just a, a one class or one seminar on this, but can you quickly explain the difference between business to business marketing versus business to consumer in terms of how the marketing aspect changes? Yeah. Um, so there's a few really big differences. <laughs> the The first is in B2B, there are way less customers. That means your customers have more power and you have less room to make mistakes. So if we take selling cell phones, 
there are more than 8 billion people. I mean, maybe, okay, we can probably say there are at least 7 billion people who can afford and need a cell phone. Uh, so those customers have very little power and they can't negotiate with you. The price of a cell phone is the price of a cell phone. But if you're selling jet engines, there are, what, 200 airplane manufacturers? So every single one of them matters dearly to you and you have to negotiate with them to get what to get contracts and get what you want. So um, that's like a huge important differentiation. And because of that, B2B often has much bigger deals. These are often long-term deals. Some of your customer, you know, some of your listeners may be selling CRM systems to the mortgage industry. If you're doing that, that is a multi-year play. And that is going to define the strategic direction that that company moves in. So not only is more money on the line, but literally the strategic capabilities of the firm are on the line. And because of that risk, B2B is often much more of a problem-solving approach. It is a longer process. There are multiple meetings um, and you are problem-solving right alongside your customer. You become more of a consultant through that sales process. Uh, Whereas in the consumer space, cell phone, they pretty much do their research and buy it. I would say mortgages are probably a little more towards the B2B side in terms of how much you have to interact with your consumer. The other really big difference is the buying center. So with the consumer, the decision maker and the family might be one, two people. Um, but with a company, you've got to get accounting on board and you have to get the CFO to sign off on it and you have to get that department to want it and the users within the department. And so there are multiple roles um, that you have to bring on board and you have to bring them on board in a certain order. Um, and you, those different users have different needs. So the users at the bottom, so who's going to be actually using perhaps a CRM, they care about what's the automation look like? Um, How many email templates do you have for me, right? Whereas the CFO or the CMO might be more concerned about how cost-effective is this? Uh, How many users can I bring in? And they're looking at a higher level financial conversion Um, hat. And so as you sell into B2B, you need to have marketing that meets the needs and concerns of those different groups. You have to push your deal through that buying center. So that's just a really different approach. And finally, before I let you go today, I want to ask how marketing departments justify ROI on advertising spend. And now that that I'm saying that, I'm, I'm realizing maybe it could be for selfish motives here of like, hey, am I, am I charging the right things for, for a podcast sponsorship? Uh, yeah. How do, you, how do you justify ROI, Spen? Uh-huh. Well, I'll answer both. I'll answer your specific question too. Um, <laughs> so what we do, I would actually say we use ROI as one way to justify spend. So the big question you always get is, you just spent X dollars on advertising. What the heck did we get out of it? And for a long time, again, before the world became much more digital and we got way cooler tools, this used to be really difficult to answer because you would spend a ton of money on TV or you know print advertising and you have no idea how many people came to you as a result of that. 
Um, even a few years ago, uh, a group, and I'm forgetting their name, but a reputable group like McKinsey or something, uh, did a survey of CMOs. And less than half of them said they could attribute marketing spend to financial results. So even today, it's still hard. I don't want to say it's not. Um, But what I recommend is measure, measure, measure. So you want to quantify things as much as possible in the language of the departments that you have to talk to. And often that is your finance department. Uh, so you may know that, hey, I moved top of funnel awareness from 12% to 35%, and that is freaking huge. But your finance, your CFO does not understand what that means, and they don't care about it, right? So we have to make sure that we're talking to the other departments in a way they can understand. Uh, so the first thing is I always work closely with that department to figure out what they want to see and most often it's, can you give me metrics that tie to financial outcomes? And what I will do is I will stage my outcomes. And we talked about a little bit earlier, like immediate, medium term, and then long-term goals. So I'll say, well, I can't tell you, I can't show you conversions right now, but conversions is on my map. And I absolutely will show you conversions as they come in. But this is what it takes to get to that conversion. And I'm going to measure those and I will check in with you and show you how we're doing on the stages leading to conversions. Uh, So that's the first thing that's really important for kind of justifying spend. The second thing is I want to consider starting with measurable approaches before going to less measurable approaches. If your team is really skittish about spending money, um, then you might say, okay, I'm going to do Google advertising. So I'll uh, do search engine marketing, I'll do display advertising, and I can literally track how many people, how many impressions did I get for this amount of spend. I can track that lead all the way to my website. I can track it all the way to a full conversion. So that's much easier to justify to your finance department uh, maybe than, well, I printed 25,000 flyers and handed them out in these real estate expos, but I don't really know how they did, right? So start with measurable, build trust, then you can move towards less measurable approaches. Um, You also might want to find customers that are closer to converting. So someone who is actively in market for a house, for example, before you do brand building activities. So brand building is really important. um, And that's kind of building reputation, trust, etc. But if again, if getting results right away that have a financial impact are important, then spend less on that top of funnel stuff and focus more on driving the bottom of the funnel. I appreciate you very much going through this with me. Uh, Next time I'm in Austin, I'm going to have to sit in on a a lecture and ask zany questions from the back. But um, this was fantastic. (laughs) Thank thank you very much, Chandra. Um, Always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really, I love this stuff and I can geek out pretty hard. Have you stopped your spending? Inflationary price tags, high interest rates, and the return of student loan payments were thought to prompt many Americans to hold back on opening their wallets. But that doesn't appear to be the case. A strong labor market has helped keep spending afloat across the economy, with new revisions even showing that the blowout retail reports from the summer were even better than initially estimated. Those trends are expected to continue with Black Friday only a week away, 
followed by the traditional holiday shopping spending spree. But as the fabled soft landing for the U.S. economy comes more and more into focus, we've seen mortgage rates and other bond yields drop as of late. Yesterday morning's batch of data showed a larger-than-expected increase in weekly jobless claims, coupled with a two-year high in continuing claims, fitting the Fed's preferred script of seeing some softening in the labor market. Initial claims are at their highest levels since August, and continuing jobless claims are at their highest level since November 2021. Export prices were down 1.1% month-over-month in October, and down 4.9% year-over-year, while import prices were down 0.8% month-over-month and down 2% year-over-year. And total industrial production declined 0.6% month-over-month in October, while the capacity utilization rate fell to 78.9%, though all figures were adversely affected by the UAW strike. Today's calendar includes housing starts and building permits for October, and has been the case all week. There are plenty of Fed speakers, and today features Boston President Collins, Vice Chair for Supervision Barr, San Francisco Fed President Daly, and Chicago President Goolsby. Today is also 48-hour notification for Class D MBS. We begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from yesterday, and the 10-year yielding 4.46 after closing yesterday at 4.45%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A young man named John received a parrot as a gift. The parrot had a bad attitude and even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, and laced with profanity. John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words, playing soft music, and anything else he could think of to clean up the bird's vocabulary. But finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot. The parrot yelled back, John shook the parrot, and the parrot got angrier and even ruder. John, in desperation, threw up his hands, grabbed the bird, and put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed. Then, suddenly, there was total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. Fearing that he'd hurt the parrot, John quickly opened the door to the freezer. The parrot calmly stepped out onto John's outstretched arms and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I am sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned at the change in the bird's attitude. As he was about to ask the parrot what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the bird spoke up very softly. May I ask what the turkey did? <laughs> Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Loan Care a mortgage subservicer known for delivering superior customer experience through personalization and convenience. Its award-winning portfolio management tool, Loan Care Analytics, supports MSR investors with a focus on customer engagement, liquidity, and credit risk. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.